thing to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at our website, DePietro.com. Folks, visit the website. On the website, you'll see all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, Instagram, even TikTok. Plus, you if you want to reach me, that's the best way to do it. We have unique original stories videos content log on right at the website dipetro.com propane plus in rhode island for all your propane needs call them 401-885-4209 in massachusetts you can reach them at 508-252-3359 propane heating and cooling it's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button, and remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment. It's Propane Plus, and remember with Propane, it's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and now it's renewable. Call Propane Plus today at 401 401- 885-4209 in Massachusetts call them at 508-252-3359 they're very easy to navigate website it's propaneplus.com propane plus call them 401-885-4209 you're listening to the John DePietro show AM 1380 99.9 FM folks you can always listen online at our website petro.com well happy new year one and all it is monday that is exactly right 2023 2023 today is monday january 2nd i hope everyone had a happy and safe new year now today is also a holiday and like many of you i'm observing the holiday so that means you get to enjoy some of our best ofs that we have so we'll be back in action tomorrow on Tuesday. In the meantime, though, we have some new material, some things that maybe you did not hear. And then, of course, uh, check out the website, dpetro.com. So, folks, again, Happy New Year. It's Monday, January 2nd, 2023, right here on The John DePetro Show. You are listening to The John DePetro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's a.m. 1380. 99.9 FM, you can always listen online at our website, dipetro.com. It's time for our legal segment. Joining us right now, he is our legal analyst, one of Rhode Island's top attorneys, that is attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, I'd actually like to start off with, uh, it is big news, and again, we don't know his final day, but, um, you know, uh, as both of us have covered Providence Police Department over uh, several decades, has certainly experienced some turbulent times, and Hugh Clemens announcing that he will be leaving as chief of police of Providence. It's a, it's a big deal. He, uh, with a very steady hand during, especially summer of 2020, very challenging times. Yes. I think it's a huge loss for the Providence police department and a even bigger loss for the city. Generally, uh, Hugh Clemens is a quality man. I don't think there's any argument that he's a quality guy. He's been an excellent colonel. He's solid. He's smart. Uh, he's unflappable. Um, he doesn't, as far as his interaction with the media and his decisions with his internal handling of his officers, he doesn't make many mistakes. Um, I think he instills confidence. I don't know where he's going, but I'm sure who's ever going to be getting him is there. Uh, employee is thrilled beyond belief at what they're getting. Um, I know you and I would both wish him well and wherever his new venture is going to take him, but I just feel bad for the city and for the department because he's been a steady hand and a guy you can talk to, very down to earth. You're not full of himself. He's a very humble guy. And um, it's a big loss, John. Yeah. Especially, uh, you know, in the aftermath, and we've kind of talked about the Operation Plutonome and obviously Barney Prignano, and then you had, you know, Dean Esteban tried to do a lot of things, but uh, that was also a very turbulent time. Um, but uh, Hugh Clemens, 
there's a lot to be said for having the consistency of the two individuals that they've had in Commissioner Perry and then obviously Chief Clements. Now, Tim Dodd, the border has been a problem. Title 42. Uh, you know, it's interesting. There's two stories this week we're going to talk about. One of them is COVID and how we're going to screen people coming in from China. But the other is what President Trump put in with his Title 42 that was set to expire and the border is a disaster. Uh, but that's the Supreme Court seemingly right now is not ready to go against changing anything. Well, Title, you're right. Title 42, there's been a longstanding Title 42 with all sorts of goodies contained in it. But the Trump administration latched on to a specific subsection of Title 42 when um, COVID was new. And, you know, think about when COVID first hit the scene. Hospitals really didn't know how to treat it. We didn't know what to do. We were all washing doorknobs and doing all kinds of things, thinking we were preventing the potential spread. Um, And we learned as we went along. But the Title 42 um, enactments that the Trump administration made was to secure the border from not people coming over illegally, but also to prevent people who could be carrying the COVID virus across the border with them. So it was originally seen as a deterrent to prevent the spread of this disease. Now, over time, as COVID has kind of faded somewhat into the background, although it's still there, um, you know, immigration advocates would say that Title 42 is now a pretext. It's being used, it's a leftover from COVID, the COVID crisis, and it's being misapplied to the folks trying to get into the country now because there's no real fear of people coming over the border um, bringing potential COVID infection with them. Of course, we know that you know people coming in illegally, even at the height of COVID, were treated much differently than U.S. citizens in terms of <clears throat> screening, um, vaccine obligations, etc., which is obviously a different topic. But now, COVID, the excuse me, the um, Title Forty Two COVID restrictions were set to expire in the month of December. Uh, a variety of attorneys general um, petitioned federal court to keep it in place. A federal court judge said, no, it should expire by its terms. Um, There was an appeal and the Supreme court determined that, well, first judge chief justice Roberts issued a, uh, like a TRO, if you will. And now the full court has agreed to keep the um, prohibition on Title 42 expiring until the parties can brief it further. So Title 42 will stay in effect for maybe till the spring at the earliest. One of the interesting things I found, John, was the composition of judges who were for keeping the prohibition on Title 42 expiring and those who wanted it to go immediately. Now, those favoring Title 42 ending right now was Judge Justice Sotomayor, Justice Kagan, Justice Brown Jackson, and maybe surprisingly, Justice Gorsuch. Now, the media loves to tell us all that it's a 6-3 court. And I've seen on many occasions, you might have uh, Justice Gorsuch um, voting with the minority. You might have Justice Kavanaugh with the minority, or Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, It's a somewhat unpredictable and not uniformly consistent, quote-unquote, conservative majority. I don't remember the last time Sotomayor, Kagan, or now Brown-Jackson has ever split with the liberal wing of the court to vote with the conservative wing. That never happens, but you see it happening the other way. Justice Gorsuch, I thought, made an excellent point and this to a couple of sentences, he said, this border crisis is not a COVID crisis. The courts should not be in the business of perpetuating administrative edicts designed for one emergency only to be elect- because elected officials have failed to address a different emergency. 
Yep. We're a court, we are a court of law, not policymakers of last resort. And I believe there was also um, a for, further, like, by the way, President uh, Biden could, by executive order, um, knock out um, Title 42 provisions right now. But he won't do it because it's not politically wise to do so. Yep. So his administration has already said, we're going to wait to see what the court does. The court's saying, you're, you're the government. You, you are the head of the government. You could take care of this on your own. This shouldn't be dumped on the Supreme Court's lap because elected officials are so feckless, they won't do what is the appropriate thing to be done. Right. Uh, clearly, Title 42 is no longer a COVID issue. It's now become a border control issue. And to that topic, Judge Justice Gorsuch has a very valid point. And I can see that the Supreme Court is kind of chafing under the notion that, well, we'll have to step in because all these elected officials won't do what they're supposed to do. So it's going to be up to us. This is what conservatives didn't like when it was a liberal court, that they became almost a super legislature and they enacted things, again, that politicians were too feckless to do on their own. Right. Now, now you've got a conservative majority. They, too, should not be in the business of legislating when the legislators won't do it. So at first I saw Gorsuch with the liberal wing thinking, wow, that's unusual. And then it's like, I think he makes the best point of everybody here. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on The John DePietro Show. For over 125 years, Ameriprise Financial has provided advice for clients' unique goals, help millions of Americans retire on their terms. Now, as we're at the end of the year, beginning of a new year, why not take advantage of our free consultation? Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Office is located 400 Massasoit Avenue in East Providence. Put the strength of a leader in retirement planning to work for for you through a personal one-on-one relationship. Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial Advisors, 401-434-1510. Get solid advice. Get a plan, whether it's for yourself, you and a spouse, maybe your children or grandchildren. Take advantage of this free consultation, Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Call right now, 401 401- 434-1510, Tom Bryan, Ameriprise Financial Advisors. Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. Time for, and it's the final time we're doing it for 2022, our segment, Politics this week. Joining us, he is the managing editor, AnchorRising.com. It is uh, Justin Katz. And Justin, I'd like to start off with, uh, it's something that I think, you know, you and I have discussed, but it was an interesting story in the Boston Globe where there's a big difference when, say, someone like Starbucks, many of the workers want to unionize. And there's a world of difference between that and then when it tries to translate on a local level. And they examined that a number of these in around the Boston, Cambridge area. We saw it locally with with uh, Seven Stars and, and where they try to unionize some of these very small businesses. And, uh, and this became uh, very acrimonious within one of the owners just completely shut shut the, the chain. It was been very, very successful coffee shops and all these people are working and they're demanding $25 an hour wage, and then they were even protesting outside of his house. So I want to start off just because you would even had kind of called it. There's a huge difference when uh, people think, yeah, you know, we have the right and everyone's on the same page, but then reality kind of comes into play. Well, certainly. I mean, I, I think it goes very, this case of Darwin's coffee shops up in the Cambridge area shows really the mentality of, of progressives and unions. I mean, what really, what really appears to have kicked this off were there, there are at least four uh, baristas who were members of a local, you know, basically a socialist group who 
had, they're basically bringing the campus out into the real world where it meets real people. And I think that's that's what the, the bigger message for me and bigger thing to understand is pr- progressives don't see us as individuals, as people with dreams. They see us as classes. You're this person, you're that person, you're the boss. And so you just do boss things and you will continue to be the boss no matter what we do to you, even if we protest out your side your house. And it, it really doesn't work that way. People start businesses not because it's something like a like an instinct in them but because it it makes more sense than other options and that's to get when it gets to these local levels to these these small businesses businesses this one had 50 employees i think it's really you know you're you're measuring against how much you could make doing something else whether you want to retire uh maybe you do want it to you do see it as your baby which is what they said with this guy stephen darwin that he it was kind of his his child that he had brought up for 30 years Uh, and then this union comes in starts picketing your house and making demands that you can't meet and it changes everything so why bother and people won't and they and what it ends up doing it's a good com- comparison to Starbucks. What it ends up is the only place this works is government where they can just take people's money by taxing it at the point of a gun yep. and large, large businesses where the boss gets to sit in a, in a H headquarters off in another, some city somewhere corner office and, and negotiate from there. When, the, when it's a small business and they've got their hands right in the mud, there, putting up shelving and, and, They've, they've built it from the ground up and they, they're next to their unionizing employees. It just uh, is what this is what progressives do. And I think we see it in government as well. They, everything has to be big business and big union because what they have to do is they have to take power away from actual people and give it to the bosses. Otherwise, there's no there's no purpose to them. And I think we're seeing that. And I think we'll continue to see that with, with the small business down as as the union front of the campus escaping into the real world uh, continues. And, and Justin, it's it's so selfish and self-absorbed, unfair. This guy, he's the one that started the business. They obviously like working there. They like the atmosphere. And they just decide they're just going to, you know, suddenly change the game. Uh, in the story, they talk about they, they wanted a, a 60% increase in weight. Like, that, that's ludicrous. They ended up settling for far, far less. I think they settled it like 4 or 6% which just shows like you're not, you're not negotiating in good faith. They're not making actions in good faith. And this isn't, you know, their talking point of the big corporate guy. And the, that's right. He's the boss and he's making all this money off us. Actually, it, it's the guy right over there in the corner. Even his daughter works at the store who's stacking the cups that if someone calls in sick, then they have to jump behind the counter. It's, um, it, it, I think it's terrible, but I don't I, I'd like to thought I don't blame the owner and the wife like this is it. it like we, we've had enough at some point it was going to come to an end. But can you can you imagine, you know, the guy that's making out the schedule and you've been doing it for that long. And uh, and then they, there they are. Someone came up with the idea to pick it outside of his house like this is just lunacy. It is. And I, I think it's it's really our failure as a society to, to teach economics and just basic, basic, teach kids basic facts about how the world actually works. They come out of college with these, these abstract, ludicrous ideas, and they think they can just apply them in the real in a real world, and it will have no effect. And they're, they're just wrong. And they're, they're breaking things now. And I think that that to me is the biggest message of all is we've got to start getting this under control and, and letting making sure the kids know how the world works because they are breaking things and and it's not only these businesses imagine the next steve darwin who right now is saying i want to start a small business and looking at this and saying yeah maybe not because right. i get it once i get it going then the, the workers will start showing up on my house and and so people won't do that and they'll continue to work for other people and they won't create competition which will make more the few people who remain even more powerful and it if if we were educating people properly uh, reasonably and uh, with facts and and real theory and not this abstract nonsense of progressivism they'd see this and we could kind of have a cooperative world where we're working toward a better place and everybody's doing what they, what's in their interest and working together uh, without this hostility. And that's, that's really, I think, maybe at the heart of our, of our division these days is just this, this complete lack of a sense that people are people and we're all just characters in this, this psychotic progressive drama. Yeah. And I think of, um, 
you know, the, the someone, you know, and they got two weeks severance, but someone that worked, I'm sure several people uh, that worked at, at these successful shops. Uh, now what? You know, they probably thought, you know, I, I, I like my job. I guess I'll go along with this whole we're going to unionize. Um, but I, I kind of like it. I like the atmosphere. Obviously, you know, they like the people that they work with uh, in what they're doing. But they they get caught up in like that's the direction you have to go. Yeah, that's right. We're going to unionize. Well, you know, no one had the forethought to say, well, wait a minute, we don't need to unionize this. This, you know, I like working here. I like my job now. Now, what are they going to do? They have to go apply at one of these other small coffee shops or, you know, they have to go try and apply at Starbucks. So it, it, it sure sounds that had they not gone down that path that the owner and his wife, they would have at least continued for several more years to keep these shops going. Folks, again, our segment is Politics This Week. With me is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. A quick break. Much more ahead. Politics This Week right here on the John DePietro Show. Get the most of your outdoor space with Limitless Outdoors. Call today for a free quote. 401-580-1852. 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors. They specialize in patios, walkways, steps. They did a fantastic job on my outside steps. Outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installations, excavation. Call Limitless Outdoors today. Let's dream, build, and enjoy. 401 580 1852 based in smithfield limitless outdoors they also do indoor fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces limitless outdoors call them today free quote get the most of your outside you're gonna love what they can do for you 401-580-1852 401-580-1852 limitless outdoors dream build enjoy Our segment is politics this week. With me is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com. Justin, the Boston Globe did a, uh, a couple of end of year interviews. I'm willing to bet that Governor McKee declined to sit down with them, but <laughs> Ed Fitzpatrick and Dan McGowan, they did sit down with the, the speaker. They also sat down with the Senate president. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on several other things he said. It's, it's so important to read where he comes down in, um, and, and whether it's, you know, the charter school who's saying, you know, we need to maybe get an outside group involved. But I uh, and I asked him McGowan about it. He said his staff was like wincing when he balked at same day voter registration. And here's the Senate president, Ruggiero, who's certainly been around saying, hey, I could get 10 buses and fill them up with people <laughs> and bring them right in and kind of, you know, a political gaffe, which is you ac- you uh, by accident, you know, reveal the truth. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, not exit interview, but end of year, the new year beginning interview with the Senate president. Well, I, th- I thought it was interesting. In some recent years, Ruggiero has kind of surprised me by by tacking left real pretty hard. And yeah. so this interview is almost like his, his coming out announcement, like, OK, that's done. We're, we're moving back right. to, to my world because he, he's not a progressive. In fact, he mentions no the left as something other than himself. Uh, but what it is, and I think what's really, really clear in this interview is he is an institutional guy. He sees things from the perspective of government workers. And so when they're talking about uh, the possibility eliminating the Executive Office of Health and Human Services, which is not all that old, I think it's within the last 20 years that that office was created. <clears throat> he says, oh, well, it's just, it's just unfair. Anything goes wrong in any of these departments, it comes down on this person, which he so he's seeing it from that person's perspective. Now, I I think that means get rid of that office, because if one person can't handle it, one government agency can't handle it and one government can't handle it. It's too big of a problem to get in one place, figure out. But put that aside. I mean, that's that is really his perspective. And you see it in that issue. You see it with. uh, His even with his perspective on on uh, the housing secretary. Saul, whom he he you know, yes. took his turn whipping him as well, um, but that that but I think that the 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 highlight of the interview was definitely that that line, and it wasn't just here's here's what could be 
fun busting in people. He's like, here's what I will do. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, like, yeah, this is, don't give me this power because this is what I will do. Uh, and I think that's, that's, it's accurate. I mean, he, he really, that perspective is, he, he, uh, it's kind of surprised his staffers winced at it. You would think they'd be, he'd have people on, on his, uh, going with him who, who kind of had the same general perspective. But yeah that's what everybody should expect and it's 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 not a wincing moment it's a good argument for why you don't do something like that but again right. true to the the institutional mindset so he doesn't he he doesn't think you should bring in voters to vote but then he also pivoted and, and said it was crazy that um that ashley kalis was able to come in and run which is a very different thing um Bussing in voters, that's somebody coming in and giving voters the option to choose her as a candidate. And the, the voters didn't. And you could argue a, a significant portion of that was the fact that she was so new to the state. Voters decided against that. And so there, you know, I don't know why we need to limit who voters can vote for when that, that goes back to that institutional Ruggiero right. just wants to continue as they're going. Works out well for him as a as a former union guy and probably still in some ways a union guy. Oh, yeah. uh, but this is one thing I will say though is as much as I've railed against the, the inside establishment and as much damage as they've done, they're still a lot better than a wacky progressives because at yes. least they're predictable. <laughs> you know what they're going to do. You can argue against them. You can you, they're they're very very powerful. But at least you around it and they 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 have a philosophy that does some things right and isn't just this crazy craziness the inhuman craziness that the progressives promote what did you uh what did you make of his comments about outgoing mayor jorge alorza i think it's also interesting how look at Ruggiero. like he was in office when he when alorza came into office and i'll still be in office as he's leaving but uh his attitude was seemingly to me was like this guy just didn't want to do anything <laughs> well it's, it's not surprising beginning i mean it's hard to believe we've been talking for so long but from the beginning it was you couldn't really tell what alorza's background was i mean what his i mean what his claim to run a city was and i think that that shows that shows i think a lot of people particularly of the younger and more progressive mindset just think you can sidle into these jobs and and do them and i think that's that's where alorza uh fell down and you know he's an old backroom player long long time it's been his entire career and so he knows how it actually works how you get things done in a place like rhode island um and that's not necessarily a skill people ought to have to develop because rhode island doesn't function very well but um yeah Elorza came in and and i i suspect Ruggiero also has a bit of a what, the one thing you and i even agree with Elorza trying to do is to do something about the teacher's contract and providence right. and something about those miserable schools which is another area that Ruggiero would be on a complete opposite side the union person and that's just how the things operate here so the only so from his perspective you know the only thing Elorza actually didn't made any progress on or, or made any noises about was an area where he disagrees with them and that's where we are we've, we've got the choice between uh people who can't run anything because they don't know how things work and people who know how almost know how things work in rhode island too well and are just abusing us from that perspective and you kind of just have to as we said with jacarchi last week is here's i make the decisions basically of the house as if they're he's the only legislator who matters but she is and so you get that you can either choose the the of the progressives who can't run anything or these people who think you know we, we're this is just how we do it and we we run everything top to bottom you know what's interesting about his uh, comments of maybe we need to and this was the senate president justin cat saying maybe we need to bring in you know like the rhode island foundation or so forth now gina Rabundo, she one thing about the former governor she would be very quick to say it's not a question of money she would say the providence teachers were in the top 10 as far as highest paid you know, for where, for where they are, in, let alone the results certainly don't do that. But I think depending on what report you look at, sometimes they're as much as the high, fourth highest paid in the country or sixth highest paid. So she was very quick to come down and say it's not money. But with Ruggiero, what he seemingly comes down to is, you know, well, if you want them, it's to them, it's still about the money. And and it's interesting, whenever I hear someone talk about the Providence schools, if they start saying, and it's time we start paying these teachers more, Justin, that always strikes me like as if, okay, this person has no idea what they're talking about because it's <laughs> not about money. 
And the whole, I, the main basis why the charter schools are successful because they're not constrained that the union is basically running all the schools. But it is interesting that Ruggiero, he doesn't even wander into the area of charter schools. He immediately just says, gee, I guess we should need find a third party that will give them the extra money they want to do everything that they should be doing in the first place. Well, I, I read it a little bit differently. I mean, the Rhode Island, and I wrote about this on Act Horizon, the Rhode Island Foundation, they started, I think, in around 2012, uh, 2012 they started a, a civic action fund, or I forget what they call it, something like that. And it's it's been their, I think, the fastest growing line of donations. But since then, they've sort of taken on this place in Rhode Island culture, where, or the insider group in Rhode Island, where it's almost like uh, people like Ruggiero think, oh, they're just this this great, this well-meaning group that can really get things done in the background. And he's with anonymous donors and, and so on and so forth. And who knows what their, what their real agenda is. And so it really could be, you know, you bring in a Rhode Island Foundation, it really could be bringing in the labor unions, because that could be who their backers right. are, who, oh, who's calling okay. the shots, you don't know. And so I think that that's just a complete wrong way to go. And I, I was somewhat relieved to to see that Ruggiero seemed to be just just spouting off it doesn't sound like anybody's actually been discussing this uh right. this idea but but I think it's it's an indication of of how far we've gone where we're just bringing bring in this other group uh that has some money and they're like the the adults in a room and the kids can no longer do the play in a political sandbox bring in the RI foundation because they're grown-ups they can do things maturely and fix problems which I think is a, a crazy assumption that that a charity somehow has the the wherewithal to, to do something like that but I think and I we talked about this last week with Shikarchi as well I believe the the, the real or maybe it was Alorza the real solution is you bring in, yeah, bring in charters or, or full school choice because that will bring in more money and that will also bring in small scale responsibility for people to yes. actually run things with individual right. schools. And I think it's, otherwise you get this thinking where, as, as you say, it's, it's bizarre. Well, we just need to give the Providence teachers more money. <laughs> in what other area of life do you say, well, these people are failing. Maybe if I give them more money, they'll succeed. No, it right. doesn't work that Nowhere. way. <laughs> at the very least, you would say, okay, let's get rid of these people and pay more for better people. That that would be at least a plausible argument. But it's it's just insane, the mentality of, of these folks. Much more ahead politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Our segment is politics this week. With me is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com. Justin, I want to touch on some of the other stories. Just what are your thoughts or belief regarding, uh, you know, the Providence Journal had a piece. Questions still remain. What are the huge bulk of surplus money that's just sitting there? <laughs> but it amazes me is the thing we never discuss is what makes us think that these people through these methods of politics will make the best decisions for all this money. It's right. it really just, it starts to feel just like theft. All right. Yes. Well, it's like a bunch of thieves who just knocked over a, a train with, with some rich people on it and said, Oh, we got all this money. What are we going to do with it? Uh, it's just, even, even when they're talking about, oh, we, we need to be careful. I mean, respond. We're, we're, we're going to use one-time funds for one-time purposes. Well, no, government isn't supposed to be like that. If you, government shouldn't spend money on things just because it has money. It ought to, if it, and it ought to spend money on things that it needs. So, bringing in one-time funds does not change anything. It ju it just gives them more to play with, and it makes it impossible for people to make reasonable political judgments because everybody's being bought off with all this cash, and it's it's going to go away. You know, folks. It, Maybe not this cycle. Maybe Biden will find another way to send more and more borrowed money to Rhode Island. But it's going to go away at some point. And 
we need to prepare for that and we're just not and it's, it's really uh, it makes me worry actually whenever whenever they start to have these conversations they ought to, I, my view is just flush it out get the money to the people as a one-time fund if you have to but uh, or because you can't really lower taxes because then you'll just have to increase them the next year but it's just it's crazy that we're even having these debates as if this money just fell out of the sky and as if these nincompoops who happen to get elected in a corrupt state like rhode island actually know what to do with it you know one one thing that i noticed is a, a, a big difference was one thing about governor Raimondo is because she wanted to be on the national stage she was looking more seemingly what other states do and kind of borrowing that, for instance, when she did go to Chicago and there was a fundraiser for her for by uh, Christy Heffer, Hefner, excuse me, at, at the very least, she was trying to appeal to a nationwide audience or national audience, I should, should say, with with some of the things she was coming up with. Like and again, the Rhode Island promise, if anything, it's decimated Rhode Island College. But but one thing about Governor McKee, Justin Katz, is he's such a local yokel. He would seemingly have no interest in venturing. He, he actually shouldn't even be running the state. <laughs> Helena folks really should have won that. But, but as a result of that, the way they look at everything is just so parochial. And Governor McKee, he won't even hire anyone from outside the Blackstone Valley. I think he's the most parochial governor we've ever had. I mean, Don Kachiri had, you know, come up from business, and and uh, Link Alvin before that had been U.S. Attorney and. Say which one about Chafee, but, you know, he had been in the U.S. Senate. But McKee is um, – and you see it even like the photo. They're at the – when they were at, I think, the White House, they were at the National Governors Association. They're all – you know, the other governors are in suits and so forth. And he's like in sweatpants with a URI, you know, jersey on, like totally <laughs> way too casual. But uh, I just think as a result of that, they don't – obviously think out of the box. He just thinks very small time. And – um was someone who's probably very content being the, the mayor of Cumberland. And now it's, you know, beyond even his wildest imagination that he's actually the, the governor of the state. I also want to get your thought on uh, the, the judge had ruled in Coventry that one of these firefighters who's now serving the town council, that, that basically he can serve on the town council because it's, he actually works for a fire district. I think Justin Katz, they missed the whole point that, his loyalty, the whole reason he's there has nothing to do with serving the people of Coventry. It's it's all about his main job there is to protect and try to further the interests of, in fact, you know, all the firefighters. And that that is a, a good point. I think it's one of the, the biggest challenges we have in Rhode Island. Uh, I think on this on this one, the Ethics Commission's correct because the, dist the fire district it literally is a different group but what i think sure. this goes back to my bigger my biggest concern with the ethics commission and, and it speaks to the way we do things we just we've created this agency which it's become sort of i mean we, people think it's going to root out corruption and it doesn't do that instead what it does is it draws boundaries and it says anything within this these boundaries are perfectly fine which is not how it, the lesson ought to be the lesson ought to be yeah this guy is is on, is one of the government people that's going to be his focus that's what he's going to do whether it's in this in this particular government or the the one down the street this is that's who he is and that's what we ought to be debating and voting on as deciding as voters and i mean it's it became most ludicrous when when they i forgot her name but some decade a decade or two ago there was a, a union rep running for for a school committee seat and the the Ethics Commission said, "Well, you know, the the union, she's in she's in a different town as a as a union rep or something like that, and so she, she and union decisions are are so broad that you can be in there and still run a school committee. That just showed you there, it, there's no, they're not trying to find ethical problems. They're trying to draw lines where it's just too far, and that what that ends up doing is anything within those lines is is perfectly fine. So I think what what people ought to be doing is making the argument mirror making, which is." This he's got a special interest focus. Don't vote for that if you're not part of the special interest. Of course, right. that and that gets our, one of our bigger problems is well, last time I looked, and this was a while ago, it was something like one sixth of all people in Rhode Island were directly uh, dependent on government. So uh, the there's a pretty big voting block that the special interest is their interest. Uh, but that's that's kind of a different problem. 
Folks, again, our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin, I'm also just curious your thought. Boston Globe ran a big piece on what basically has been the destruction of the Providence Journal. Um, the, the Boston Globe model, which is kind of the Axios model, which is you don't, you know, you don't hire 15 to 20 reporters. You just get a small stable. You're not going to cover everything, but when you do cover something, you have, you know, experienced people. You don't have people who are transient. You don't have people that are then just looking to pad their resume and move on to the next level. It is kind of, um, it is amazing to me, the Providence Journal. I mean, you go back not that far long ago, Ed, Ed Acorn writing those editorials still had a lot of power. If something had a lot of impact, if something landed on the front page of the Providence Journal 2014, they basically ran a very strong crusade to prevent CNC. That I, I think that was really like the origins of it. That was uh, really where it was mostly headed was the journal editorials of just uh, what they felt was going to be destruction if he had you know, won that 2014 mayoral. But um, part of me, it, it's kind of sad. But at the same time, I, I'm just surprised at a lot of the nonsense. You know, the problem when you get some of these reporters that come in from somewhere else and I don't know whether they, they're trying to ingratiate themselves with the locals or what they think should be the local. But I mean, anytime I see who has the best Johnny cakes and, you know, let's really look at who's serving the best clam cakes. I, it, that's more like Rhode Island monthly type stuff. Like it's just total fluff. I would never waste my time with any of those articles. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on uh, what has basically just been the destruction of the Providence Journal. Right. Well, Boston Globe is a unique situation because it's a nearby city that's quite a bit bigger. And so the, the it's the Boston Globe. And so they that's open a Rhode Island division. So it's almost like an attempt to, to edge into a new market. Uh, and so they had the freedom to to gather that small group of talented most of them well, already well-known reporters uh, and try to do something different and just just go after the stories that matter. They're, they're the Boston Globe. They don't have to give full Rhode Island coverage. Right. They just need to get some big stories every now and then. <clears throat> but I think they, because of their position, that's kind of the direction media has to head it. Yeah. You can't have this this same thing where here's the big, every, everybody has to have every big story. No, it just, you don't need that. You've got the internet. It's not the same thing where you pay for newspaper and that's the one you read and so they have to have everything it doesn't work that way anymore and i think the the providence journal is very has not been able to to achieve that perhaps because i mean again not to beat beat a, a vicious still kicking horse but um they are unionized and so the the goal of a union is to have union members and so you can't at no point is it really an option to say you know what we're going to cut down to like seven top notch journalists and they're just going to they're just going to kill it with their you can't do that because the union wants members and i think that's that's been a, a big problem for the providence journal and also another big problem maybe the it, it seems it seems like it hit the providence journal particularly hard was the it became a pipeline into government and so as yeah. journalists in the providence journal kind of learned their way around Rhode Island, they were hired away. And I think Raimondo probably, she history did. will say, suggest she had a lot of, lot of blame in this because she made it a habit of, of, of hiring Providence Journal reporters. And I, and I think part of the reason you do that is because then you, you teach reporters, I'm part of your employment pipeline. Yep. So if you want to make that leap up to six figures, you better be nice to me. And I, that's, that's another thing that killed Providence Journal. It was just too much of a Rhode Island institution. And I think that it just doesn't work. And so they, they run out of money. Somebody else comes in with, with national focus and changes things around. And, uh, and that doesn't mix well with the parochialism of Rhode Island. And then, of course, there's the, the increasing progressivism. I mean, Ed Acorn was conser is conservative. Yeah. And he, you'll see him on Twitter out there saying, why are journalists not supporting free speech? I mean, he, he's, he's one of us, uh, I would say, pretty, very clearly. And so that just is not allowed in a progressive, increasingly progressive place you, you're not allowed to have people with power of any kind who disagree with the progressive idea and so that that killed them too they had to bow to that 
very, very tough. So I think what you get is that takeover model from the Boston Globe who says, yeah, let's throw some, let's throw, I don't know what they're paying, but let's throw a couple hundred thousand dollars of good reporters at the, at this state and whatever stories they can catch, they catch. And we, we increase our, our edge into that, that nearby market. And they have, I mean, I think they have more impact than the journal does these days. And, and I, I also read that apparently the, the Globe is going to use this same model and open a New Hampshire branch and do the, the same type of thing. But, you know, pound for pound, when you're sitting there and you're the Senate president or the House Speaker, whoever, and you have Dan McGowan and Ed Fitzpatrick, uh, you know, I'd put those two up against any of the reporters um, in the market. And especially as we're watching the revolving doors on television, all the local TV reporters, it just seems to be more and more of a a constant exit uh, exodus and Amanda Milkovitz to her credit, she does do a good job. She has police contacts. Um, she covers that beat very strongly. So they have uh, kind of carved that over just just on a final note of the year. I think it's a story to me that a lot of people won't get. And I know it's not going to be written about, but as much as people, you know, blame the voters and I see it a lot on social media, what's wrong with people, people voting the same thing. I just take exception to that. That's really not the case because day of voting, voters wanted Helena folks. In some ways, the voters did want to change this just, you know, this past election cycle. He did win election day. The polls were right. He was leading. It was those mail ballots that Magazina was able to gather together and ballot harvest to put him over the top. And McKee, if the unions didn't do that for him with to the tune of 3,000, um, people were ready for a new direction. They were ready to take a chance with Helena folks. She, she won primary day, and people didn't want uh, the same old with just sending in the Democrat to, to Congress. They actually wanted Alan Fung to go down there. And conversely, the same thing with Lieutenant Governor Aaron Kuki, and he did win election day. So I think as much as people wanted change and actually voted for change it was the machine just was a step ahead and kept the titanic on course to continue sinking yeah and you know it's, it's gotten a lot worse but that's been a problem in rhode island for for decades about, i mean i think it's 20 years ago I, I was writing about maybe invoking the uh, provision in the u.s constitution that every state had to guarantee a representative form of government because we we've reached the point that Whatever the voters want, they have, unless it is what the insiders want. It's just they've just got it too nailed down all the way from from giving out money to legislators to buy votes through legislative grants down to the the fraud or cheating in in mail ballots and ballot harvesting, uh, which, you know, unfortunately, I think Republicans have to really pick up and learn about it as long as it's part of the game but uh it's just you you cannot win and we saw it nationally too in 2020 you know with with i think it was in, in a time magazine with the article about how this this national cabal managed to tweak things just enough at every at every point that they get it to where it's basically guaranteed you cannot vote for change you're going to get what they're going to give you and i think that's there's been a long time coming it's been a project of uh, the progressive movement for a century anyway and i think it's we're kind of at the leading edge of it in Rhode Island, but the pe- people should wake up to it. You you can't be bought off, and it, it, it does still, I think, come down to voters. You still have to, you still have to um, think that maybe this one area where you're getting a little bit more of a benefit because your legislator gave you some cash for your organization, or you're getting a little bit more through your union, that doesn't work. We're we're going down the tubes, and it's it's gotta it's gotta stop. But I, I think that's so. I guess it it does come down to voters, but it also comes down to uh, the frustrating thing for me on the conservative side is watching new people come in and they're they're so enthusiastic and they've yeah. learned all the same lessons and they think it still works like standard politics. It doesn't. You've got to get back to really just building relationships with people and and convincing them of a cultural change because that's what we need. Folks, he is the managing editor at AnchorRising.com. It's Justin Katz, our segment Politics This Week. Justin, great job as always. Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you in 23. Happy New Year, John. Next time you have an emergency, think AtMed Urgent Care. 
two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. At Med Urgent Care, when you have an emergency, they specialize ambulatory medicine. They provide immunization, school, and sports physicals. At At Med Urgent Care, they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families. They're on duty at all times. They're open seven days a week. Walk-in routine urgent care, minor surgical. Now, if you're in a car accident, go to At Med Urgent Care. Avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms. They also do adult vaccinations, laboratory testing. At Med Urgent Care, when it's an emergency, 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston. That's right, in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, online at admedurgentcare.net. To the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, DePietro.com. Remember, weekdays, 11 to 2. But visit the website, DePietro.com. That's the best way to reach me. There's a direct link. Contact John. We also have all our sponsors right there. We have unique, original reporting, stories, videos. Also, all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook, when we do Facebook Live, or YouTube or Twitter. It's all right there at the website, petro.com And then remember, once you're there, you can also visit the shop. We have great gifts that you can get. It's a happening. All links to the show. Plus, if you ever miss any part of the show, it's all right there under radio show right there. Folks, it all starts by logging on at petro.com And on the left-hand side, you can always listen live. Again, all our links, everything begins and ends right there at the website, petro.com This portion of our program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, right off of 146. Delicious food and drink. Always a nice crowd. You can either eat in the lounge area. There's normally a game on and a nice group of people there. Or you could sit out in the dining room. Don't forget the nice weather. They have the deck open. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Delicious food and drinks awaiting for you. I'll see you at the Lodge. It's getting cold already this winter. Keep your family, your employees warm with Matthews Oil Company. Call them today, 401-942-7500. Matthews Oil Company, 24-hour emergency service. For over four generations, they make it easy to keep your home comfortable and safe. Trusted oil delivery. Call Matthews Oil Company today, 401-942-7500. You can find them online matthewsoil.com matthews oil premier dealer rhode island delivering the highest quality heating fuels at matthews oil they take pride providing reliable affordable service for you and your family celebrating 90 years of service call them now it's going to be a cold winter get that tank filled call matthews oil company today 401-942-7500 in an emergency they offer 24-hour emergency service Matthews Oil Company, 401-942-7500.